certainly has been a, uh, a big year for change. So, uh, you know, do you start with the GSEs and the change in FHFA chairman, you know, Calabria to Thompson, certainly pretty huge, you know, change the non-owner occupied caps, uh, the safe Harbor QM, you know, changes the CFBB changes, uh, you know, in leadership and regulatory stances. I mean, all of these are just, you know, massive. I think though, that the number one thing is really the change in profitability. That to me is what it all boils down to, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's concerned with how do, how do all these things really impact what my bottom line is? You know, if your bottom line is healthy because you've got really wide margins, you, you don't really care if, you know, there's different permutations in the industry as to how things are being treated. Like there are things to adjust to, but it could fit within your economic model. I think what people are most concerned about today is, hey, what is this going to look like here, you know, moving forward on a profitability standpoint? Welcome back, Housing News listeners. This is Alcina Lloyd, and I'm the producer of this weekly podcast, which is a proud member of the Industry Syndicate. You just heard a word from Michael Franco, the CEO of Citus AMC. In today's episode, which is the finale of season six, Housing Wire Editor-in-Chief Sarah Wheeler interviews Franco about Citus AMC's growth trajectory and what he believes has been the most impactful changes for the mortgage industry in 2021. Thank you for listening, and here's episode 14 of season six of the Housing News Podcast. Welcome, everyone. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, with the latest episode of our Housing News Podcast. Our guest today, Michael Franco, who's the CEO of Citus AMC. Michael previously served as the CEO of American Mortgage Consultants, where he oversaw the expansion of the AMC business to become the largest provider of due diligence and consulting services to the residential secondary market. Additionally, he was instrumental in the merger of Citus and AMC. Michael has also worked as a managing director at Five Mile Capital Partners, a real estate-oriented private equity fund manager, and at General Electric. Michael, welcome to Housing News. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me here. It's great to uh, join you here at Housing Wire. Yeah, we're excited to, to have this conversation. So the first question I always want to ask, because people get into this industry in different ways, is, you know, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in the mortgage industry. Absolutely. So you covered it so well, uh, kind of in that introduction. But, you know, I really uh, came into the industry through Five Mile Capital. So I was with uh, Five Mile, which was a real estate oriented, uh, you know, a private equity fund. They actually really focused on commercial real estate, but ended up making the purchase of American mortgage consultants at the end of 2018. Uh, it was an asset purchase. So we opened up as a new co in January of 2019. I was kind of tangentially involved with the deal. Um, and the the premise was really Five Mile was looking to deploy capital into reperforming assets at the time. And they figured it'd be really helpful to have a due diligence firm to help them understand the assets that they were buying. Um, fast forward, and in 2011, uh, they had deployed the capital that they had wanted to into the space. And you know now they, they kind of turned to me and they said, look, you've been the internal liaison between uh, Five Mile Partners and, and the company. We'd like you to come on as the acting CEO and work with the existing management team and build out you know, the platform. So I joined at that time and really worked with the existing management team to build you know, the company uh, from that point forward and joined as the full-time CEO in 2013. 
Very interesting. You know, one of the reasons we wanted to have this conversation today is because Citus AMC has been on a massive growth trajectory. You know, you guys have just done so much. So where is the firm focused as it continues to grow? We've definitely, uh, you know, been pretty busy, especially since uh, 2011, I believe. And when I joined it, we had maybe 20 full-time employees or, or something, you know, thereabouts. Uh, today, you know, total rosters are going to be rounding up to about 8,000 employees. Uh, so, yeah, quite a bit of growth during that period of time. Uh, you know, look, it, it's been done organically and inorganically. We have had a bunch of... Uh, you know, acquisitions that we've done, but we've also been able to be very fortunate to grow the business significantly organically. So a couple of things on that, you know, we're always focused on how we could best serve our clients throughout the industries that we we cover in either commercial real estate or, you know, residential real estate. And our goal is always to make the product the superstar of the business. You know, if you could do that, then people want to work with you because you're adding value to their their business. Um and you know, a lot of times that means doing more for your clients, being able to go deeper, solve the problems that they see, and really be solutions oriented. Um, you know, to do that, as I mentioned, we have done a number of acquisitions. I think we've done about fifteen acquisitions in the last two years. Uh, those have really focused on adding technology that fits our strategic plan, rounding out existing service offerings, or getting more depth, you know, in existing markets. In addition to that. We focused on really driving some uh, initiatives internally. We're pivoting away from just being known as being a, a secondary market due diligence firm and really broadening the capabilities here. So, yeah, we're still focused on meeting the demands for private label securitization and due diligence volume, but we've also been focused on building out and bringing awareness to our fulfillment, processing, and underwriting capabilities. And we also have a really wide technology solution suite here. Uh, some of that has been built in-house, some of that has been acquired over the years, and we want to make sure that people in the market understand you know, that part as well. So on that technology side, the big thing that people you know, would know about is you know, we bought compliances last year, but we actually also own the systems of record for the custodial and warehouse you know, industry. Uh, about 85% of all custodial records go through our systems, about 75% of all warehouse financing you know, goes through our system, about $3 trillion finance last year. You know, through those technologies, uh, we also have uh, uh, a technology that that does loan accounting and master uh, master servicing. Uh, that technology is going to be building up towards, geez, I, I think we're going to be close to seven and a half, eight eight million loans on that system. Uh, you know, by the end of uh, 2022, with some existing clients that are, you know, onboarding, and then we have a whole host of underwriting efficiency technologies that we've largely built internally between document classification, data extraction, automated underwriting systems, you know, and the like. So we've been very busy. And, you know, when you're growing a firm from 20 people to 8,000 people, you're, you, you have to be involved in a lot of different areas in order to fulfill that type of uh, growth trajectory. Well, and I, you know, 15 different companies in, in two years, how do you do that and and keep your core um, culture. How do you bring those in and make sure that you know you guys are all working on the same page? I mean, tell me a little bit about about you as a CEO, what that looks like. Yeah, look, that's uh, certainly a, a very timely question, especially today, as a lot of people are working you know remote. It's becoming a bigger part of you know the overall environment. We've worked remotely here at uh, Citus AMC at a number of our businesses 
for uh, you know several years. I mean, that's just kind of the way that the business has been set up. So the challenges around training people remotely, you know, bringing a sense of culture and teamwork to a remote environment are not necessarily anything you know new. And I think for residential underwriters, certainly remote work has been something that's been a, a common theme for you know, a number of, uh, uh, of years, but it is more challenging when you're doing acquisitions, you're bringing in people into, you know, the culture. Uh, I think one of the keys is just being open and honest with people. Uh, we try to have meeting meetings with the team members who are joining up front, lay out what, who Citus AMC is, what to expect, uh, in the employment, you know, and most importantly, it's the golden rule. Treat people like you would want to be treated, right? So if you do that and you're a good employer uh, and people see that you're constantly trying to make strides to be better as an employer, then I think that brings you know a sense of loyalty you know, to the organization and makes it easy for people to integrate in you know, with, the, uh, with the company. It's so interesting that the companies that, uh, for whatever reason, were already fairly remote before you know, 2020, and just seeing how they were able to grow through that. Of course, a lot of companies did a great job um, you know, making that transition, but having already had that experience, I mean, we see a lot of the fastest growing companies over the last two years were already set up really well to do that. Yeah, it was definitely a, a key you know, um, for us was being able to move quickly in that environment. And we were also, we, we were pretty fortunate, uh, you know, kind of as COVID really started shutting down things. We, uh, we actually had a board meeting kind of two weeks before uh, you started seeing the massive shutdowns on the, you know, the East Coast. And, and we flagged this as an issue. And you know, we did things like get ahead of the procurement cycle for laptops um, and you know, send people home with the right equipment. So we, we were well positioned kind of around the, the globe. And that really was a great thing for us because when a lot of companies had issues, um, you know, we had the ability to, to service our clients. So interesting. You know, uh, it's been a wild year for the mortgage industry. Uh, what do you believe have been some of the most impactful changes uh, in, in 2021? And, and man, you've got just a host to choose from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly has been a, uh, a big year for change. So, uh, you know, do you start with the GSEs and the change in FHFA chairman? You know, Calabria to Thompson certainly pretty huge. You know, change the non-owner occupied caps, uh, the safe harbor QM. You know, changes the CFPB changes. Uh, you know, in leadership and regulatory stances. I mean, all of these are just you know massive. Um, I think though that the number one thing is really the change in profitability. That to me is what it all boils down to. You know, at the end of the day, everybody's concerned with how do how do all these things really impact what my bottom line is? You know, if your bottom line is healthy because you've got really wide margins, you, you don't really care if you know there's different permutations in the industry as to how things are being treated. Like there are things to adjust to, but it could fit within your economic model. I think what people are most concerned about today is. Hey, what is this going to look like here? You know, moving forward on a profitability standpoint, I think the MBA just came out saying that two Q, you know, production, the average pre-tax uh, profit fell to seventy-three basis points, down from one hundred and twenty-four basis points in the first quarter, one hundred and sixty-seven basis points in a year-over-year period. That's down fifty-six percent. 
look, the long-term average is 47 basis points. So we're still above that you know, level. But you also have people preparing for, are we going to fall in line with that? Or are we going below that? Uh, and even Moody's yesterday or uh, this week was out kind of with a report flagging that gain on sale margins are, are likely coming in. And you know they see profitability shrinking to where it was in 2018, where you know, one third of non-bank mortgage originators were unprofitable you know, in their estimate. And a number of those companies are, of course, public now, right? So you've had a, a number of those companies go public. So I think that that is probably the most impactful change you know, here is really the change in the profitability of underlying originations and all of the things that have changed around the, the regulatory side, um, you know, companies going public, even the FHA, you know, talking about uh, the, the treatment of, of uh, MSRs and, and measuring the capital associated with that. I think all of those are around the edge and you're really solving for well, what does this mean for my business? How much money am I going to make? How do I position the business to be successful here as we head into you know 2022 and beyond? Well, well, let's talk about that. You know, what opportunities do you see for lenders um, at you know now and as we move into 2022? It, it's going to be interesting. Look, I think you had a lot of organizations that really hired up to meet the the surging demand of 2020, and then what we've seen is. A lot of those organizations also retain the staff here through 2021. They were very hesitant to, you know, reduce staff. I think the BLS, you know, statistics are uh, are going to show you that uh, employment in the industry has actually been trending up, you know, throughout the year. So you haven't really seen that that you know de- decrease as we move into 2022, and as we move into a lower, you know, production environment. That's going to mean that people have to really think about re-examining the way that they do their their business, um, and that's going to present some risks, but also some opportunities, you know, associated with that. And we think that the opportunity is to really rethink how you want your organization to look, re-examine what the fundamental value is that your company is bringing to you know the consumer and the marketplace. And also rethink what your business model is. You know, are you going to sell MSRs now instead of retaining them uh, because of the decrease in margins? Um, do you need to focus on diversifying product because maybe non-agency products is an area that you want to you know expand into? And do you have the ability to sell those into the secondary market? Do you have the relationships that you need in order to execute on that? Do you have a TPO channel? Do you have a strategy you know around increasing volume in that channel in order to keep um, you know everybody busy at at your shop, and also re-examining: Are you getting the most out of your technology stack? You know, did you get what you bargained for when you implemented that new POS or within your current you know LOS environment? Because one thing's for certain, right? I mean, a lot of these companies have transacted. LMA's Optimal Blues, you know, they sold Blend went public. Prices there are not going down. Right, I mean, people just paid big premiums for those companies. They didn't buy those companies and say, "You know what? We need to do. We need to start discounting the price by twenty percent." Right. right. I think everybody's already gotten their their notification that price is going up. So, when you have a situation where you've got decreasing profitability, increasing you know costs of your technology, we've already seen an increase in the resource costs. It just really starts pushing you to figure out. What do I need to do to change what my organization you know looks like? Let's take this opportunity, this change in business model, to really re-examine the way that we do work, and figure out what's going to position us for success in 2022, 
you know, and beyond. That's a great point, especially when you look at um, after a year of really just drinking out of the fire hose. That's not the time that people are like, how efficient is my technology? Let's talk about this. You know, now it, it becomes really important. I mean, it's always important, but it, it becomes more important because that's going to, you know, as you have less volume and also, you know, shrinking margin, then then technology mm-hmm. takes center stage. So, you know, as it continues to be a big push in the mortgage business, what innovations are you seeing they're having a positive impact on lenders. And where do you see the potential for disruption? Well, look, I think you hit it, the nail right on the head there with that initial uh, you know, commentary. What we saw a lot of in 2020 was you know, people were interested potentially in you know, a new technology solution, but they're drinking from the fire hose. They don't really have time to you know, test a new solution or implement anything. And we actually saw a number of you know firms who were potentially looking at implementing a new LOS that just put it off. You know, they said, "Look, we we can't do this right now. Like we're fire, we're focused on um, hiring more people, and we don't have time, you know, potentially to implement this new technology solution." But with that change, with that change, the focus on the cost per loan and the profitability, you know, associated with every incremental unit. We think that does bring the opportunity for people to re-examine, you know, the technologies that are out there in the market, and really see if there's something that could be a good fit for their organization, and and uh, you know where they're looking to position themselves. You know, what are the innovations that are happening out there? Look, you're going to hear a lot, and you, you hear it all the time. You know, AI, right? Everybody, oh, I've got an AI this and an AI that. I, I hate the term. Because I feel like everybody just labels everything AI, and it's somehow, you know, supposed to be better. It's almost like, uh, you know, what was it? The early two thousands, where you know everything had to be extreme. If it was extreme, then it it must have been cool and helpful. (laughs) And you know, now it's like it's got to have AI in the title in some way. And because it it does, then it must be a, a super great solution. So we think that there's, you know, some some new automation tools. I'll call them. And some of those are based on typical machine learning, you know, type of uh, exercises. And that's really what when people say AI, they're really talking about machine learning in, in the most case. That could be helpful uh, in people understanding the processes. But we also think that the mortgage business doesn't have to be this complicated where you need all these AI tools. It it, it also boils down to do you know what type of execution that you're trying to get? And are you understanding the data that you need to capture? And are you putting that data capture in the right part of the process? And if you really thought through your workflows and you understand the data that you need, we think that technologies that are oriented towards changing that type of experience, really examining how is a mortgage originated? What is the manufacturing process? You know, those are the ones that are going to be the most impactful because the best way to you know fix errors uh, that happen later on in the process and catch things in QC is not to have the errors in the front end of the process, right? So we see a lot of those technologies that are aimed more on automating front end processes, capturing exceptions before they become issues down the line as the areas that are going to be the most helpful. Uh, to originators in the environment, because ultimately, it's probably going to lower the cost to produce, and it's going to provide a better customer experience. Because everybody hates it where you think that you're done on your mortgage, and all of a sudden, there's seven additional things that you're being asked for two days before you thought you were going to close. Right? That's death to a customer experience. 
So we think that those types of technologies are going to be you know, really important and will get additional interest. I see that. I also see, you know, if you can trust your data the first time, if you can trust that you have, um, that that's being input correctly or that's being scraped correctly or however you want to say it, how, that, that the data that you have does not have to be checked and rechecked and rechecked. I mean, that right there would be huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and look, we think that that is, you know, possible. And we ourselves have been working on those types of solutions where, you know, you're focused on how do you capture the data on the front end of the process and preserve kind of a wrapper around data that was clean and, you know, keep it clean. Right. And, and then also make sure that you're automating some of the, the typical uh, processes. So something like an income calc, you know, we have math engines that can do all the income calculations and do it in a repeatable fashion based on you know the information. So it's really about how do you get clean data you know on the front end, and if you understand your guidelines and you know the ways that you could calculate income according to those guidelines, you start pushing those processes forward. So the consumer knows up front, hey, this this is the type of documentation that I need, or you know here's the hook into these services that I need to uh, offer in order to get the data. That I'm going to need down the line. So we think that those, again, those types of technologies are going to be really important because it will provide for a better customer experience and it will provide for a cost savings overall in the process. It's really great that the, what is going to benefit the customer also helps you as a mortgage industry, uh, as, as a mortgage lender, right? I mean, it's nice that those things are aligned. It's sad that they haven't been aligned up to now because it's, you know, it's painful for both sides. So, you know, for the customer, but also for the lender trying to get through this process. Absolutely. Um, Look, this goes back to what I said earlier, like the product should be the superstar. Uh, And if the product is the superstar, that means that it's adding value for everybody in the chain, right? And if you could create products that really add value that way, it's good for the consumer and it's good for the you know, originator, then we think that you have, you know, something there. What do you see as the biggest hurdles for lenders as they look to adopt technology? So we've just said, hey, technology is super important, but we know that that process can be painful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as we talked about, one of the biggest hurdles was just there was so much going on, you know, here in origination that there wasn't time to really focus, you know, on those things. Uh, And as the market changes. And as people really start taking a look at their organizations, I think that'll give them more time to figure out what is, where do we want to be positioned on that, you know, technology side. But a lot of times, you know, no different than anything else in life, the biggest hurdle can just be change itself and getting the organization to really understand why you're looking to make the change, why it's going to be better you know, for that organization. And this is an area that I think a lot of technology companies don't really appreciate. You know, they'll come in with some sort of thought process around how they're going to save you time or money or, you know, whatever it is. But what does it take to implement that process? You know, what's the operational complexity associated with, you know, moving your company from doing things one particular way into a different way? How many employees do you have to retrain, right? Those are the types of costs that are really hard costs that it, it's part of changing you know, the technology. And that's why w- when we're doing things, we also try to focus on, you know, is there a way to offer a service with the technology to ease that implementation, right? Um, not only just like an implementation service, but also providing the arms and legs, doing the, 
doing the work, doing the heavy lifting, helping you migrate to a new process. Um, and we think that that could, you know, that can be one of the areas that people struggle with is just, hey, we have something that we like, but it's going to be a big disruption to move it in the organization. How am I going to do that without, you know, really hurting my existing pipeline or, you know, causing delays? What's the process to retrain the staff? And appreciating those factors and coming up with solutions, you know, for parties who are looking to make that technological change, we think is really important. Well, and you know that the human factor can never be discounted. So you can have all the greatest technology in the world if, if people aren't, you know, if, if they're just hesitant to get in it, if, if your top producers don't adopt it, if, I mean, there's so many bumps along the way that the human factor uh, comes in. So I'd love to ask you, you know, as uh, having having brought on 15 different companies, um, absorbing them, you know, how have you, how have you done that at Cytos AMC? Look, it's it's always uh, you know one of those things that you, you can't ignore the human factor, but uh, you do so at your own peril, right? Uh, I think a lot of times in leadership, it's easy to think about things and and you know black and white, and you don't really appreciate how much change you're putting through you know an organization. And like I said, you know when we're doing acquisitions, we try to articulate what we think that the the Cytus AMC value add and mission and where the fit is, you know, with people coming into the organization. But it's more than just acquisitions. I mean, when we merged Cytus and AMC together, just to give you perspective, we had about 2,500 employees. And that was in June of 2019. You know, we're talking about rounding up to 8,000, you know, now. So it, it's it's also adding a lot of organic growth and bringing those people in and having the training systems and processes you know in place so you could give them a clear articulate vision as to here's what we're asking you to do here's how to be successful in this role and then if you are successful in this role here's where you can potentially go you know from here um, and if you could do that you know I, I think you'll have success you know in this market and you'll be able to to you know attract and, and retain you know talent if you can't do that, as we know, we're in the middle of the great resignation, right? So, you know, people are not afraid to uh, to make a move and 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 take a look at alternative employment. Michael, thank you so much. Really appreciate your insights on this um, and and just your ideas around how lenders can really take the opportunity that they have right now and what that looks like with technology. So, thank you for talking to us on Housing News. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you again for having me. Thank you for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please don't forget to give us feedback and rate us on iTunes. Season 7 will begin next week, but in the meanwhile, make sure to check out Housing Wire Daily, a podcast dedicated to the hottest news stories across HW Media. The podcast is published each day and is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.